swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years of the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. Then you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. Then it shall be, if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroys before you, so you shall perish, because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. Amen. Father God, we come before you to submit our hearts and to continue to worship in the way in which we receive your word and father we delight in it it is a guide to our path and we love you for it and we pray that uh, you would enable me to uh, clearly be able to articulate the things you have placed upon my heart and give to each one of us hearing ears and obedient hearts we pray in christ's name amen you may be seated <coughs> Over the course of uh, quite a number of weeks, we've been looking at what an incredibly generous and a neat God uh, we have. It's just, to me, it blows my mind to see the incredible generosity of the Lord. And we've looked at quite a few New Testament passages of God's provisions in our lives. Uh, Passages like, um, oh, Mark chapter 10, where God said, when we abandon everything for the Lord, he pours back into our lives tangible things in this life 100-fold and even more in eternity. Uh, Passages like uh, the Sermon on the Mount where Christ says, when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added to you. Or like 3 John verse 2, that uh, is the one we've memorized uh, where he says... uh, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health 
just as your soul prospers. You see, God cares about our soul. He cares about our bodies. He cares about our finances. He's not a God who can be isolated in one little corner over here, and he deals with devotions, and he deals with church, but he doesn't deal with my business. Our God is Lord over everything, and he is interested in everything, and he loves to provide for his own in all of those areas. He has a lot to say about it in the New Testament. Now, we've gone to some of the Old Testament passages that form the background for that, and we started last week looking at Deuteronomy chapter 8, and we saw that uh, there was a cause and effect relationship between ethics, ethics is the study of right and wrong and the doing of right and wrong, between ethics and prosperity, and we saw there was a cause and effect relationship in a culture between maturity and prosperity. Now, we may not always immediately see that, and sometimes God brings testings into our lives, just like he did with Job. Um, Many times he'll bring integrity checks to expose what's in our heart because he's more concerned about our maturity than he is about our financial gain. Uh, But at the same token, we can't go to the other extreme. We don't want to have the name it and claim it type of thing that says, okay, that's all God's interested in. But neither do we want to say God is not interested in the tangible things uh, of life. Uh, Many times it's not immediately obvious, but you know what? There's... um, even mathematical laws that are not intuitively obvious. There's physical laws. You know, if you were to take a, um, if you were to take a, a yardstick, nice and straight, and you were to stick it into the water, it looks like it's bending. Now, what do we do? We, we disregard our senses, what our senses tell us, and we believe, no, the laws of physics have not changed. And I think we need to do exactly the same thing when it comes to the laws of God that regard prosperity. There are times where it looks like it's not quite there, but God comes through. He always does. In fact, somebody, I'm trying to remember now who it was, somebody sent me an email this past week that had a, um, a story on perceptions that I thought was uh, kind of uh, uh, cute. There's these four boys who are in the schoolyard, and they're fighting with each other as to whose dad is the greatest, and they're going back and forth. Finally, they get to the area of finances, and the one boy says, well, I tell you, my dad's better than yours because he can scribble on a piece of paper, and he calls it a poem, and he gets $50. And the next guy, he says, well, my dad's better than that. He scribbles on a piece of paper, and he calls it a song, and he gets $100. And uh, Dr. Cotton will appreciate this. The third kid says, well, that's nothing. My dad scribbles on a piece of paper, and nobody can even read it, and he gets $200, and he calls it a prescription. (laughs) And the final guy, he says, well, I've I've got you all beat. My dad scribbles on a piece of paper. He calls it a sermon, and there's 10 people it takes to collect all the money. (laughs) Sometimes uh, our perceptions, you know, are not exactly uh, accurate, and that's why we started last week by looking at the New Testament. You see, the Bible interprets the Bible, and the New Testament has an enormous amount to say about the book of Deuteronomy. We saw how incredibly frequently this book is uh, uh, quoted 79 times, and there's over 200 allusions to Deuteronomy. And we saw how Christ applied this as being, this chapter as being part of our kingdom living. We saw how the apostles said these things, all these things were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And uh, uh, so we've covered two points already. If you'd go down, we're going to look at uh, Roman numeral three, which deals with how it is that God resources us for prosperity. Uh, Point A says that God gives us resources but he doesn't do the dominion work for us. If you take a look at verse 7, it says, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. So here's God 
He's bringing his people into the land of Canaan. He gave them the land of Canaan. They still had to enter. They still had to conquer. They had responsibilities of dominion they needed to take. And you remember what happened to the previous generation when, because of fear, they did not want to go into the land of Canaan. God says, I've given you all kinds of things, resources, but you need to be willing to exploit those. You need to be willing to take the dominion. They weren't. They wandered in the wilderness for uh, 40 years. Now, this point, I think, is fairly obvious. I'm not going to dwell on it long. It's basically saying you're not going to harvest if you don't plant, right? Uh, you've got to plant and fertilize and do all those good things. Um, and basically, we can say God authorizes the prayer that says, Lord, <clears throat> prosper the work of my hands, because that implies you're working. But he does not authorize the prayer that says, Lord, I'm tired of working. You do the work for me. Okay, now I don't need to belabor this point because I think this congregation is quite familiar with it. So I want to move on to point B, and I think point B is one that we, we do need to think about a little bit more uh, closely. How to recognize opportunities and how to seize them. You know, we might not even recognize God's already <laughs> resourced us incredibly, and we've not used it because we don't recognize uh, those opportunities. Point B says that God calls us to recognize opportunities as he sees them and to seize those opportunities. Now, maybe next week, God will prosper you with some resource that will enable you to further extend the kingdom, and you don't utilize it because you've not recognized it as being something uh, from the Lord. And, and this has happened to me many, many times. Uh, just in the area of evangelism, uh, some of you may remember uh, Jim Moss, uh, who spent several months. W were you here, Rodney, when Jim Moss was here? Oh, he must have been a while back. He was here for several months, retired missionary, wonderful guy. I spent as much time with him as I could because I was trying to glean from him, especially in the areas of evangelism and, and people relationships. He was much, uh, much better at that. But I was just astonished at uh and actually uh, ken's this way many times uh he can see divine appointments that the lord has given and put into our paths and i remember many times he would just he'd, he'd start me talking about spiritual things and see that this guy was hungry and talk i didn't even recognize it i had a, a friend at uh, covenant college who was this way when it came to economics he could see opportunities to make a buck that man i just went on by oh yeah now that he points it out to me i can recognize that's one of the things that makes a difference between a good businessman and one who's not so good is he recognizes opportunities before anybody else does i think all of us can recognize down the road this is a great opportunity after everybody else has made a big killing on it but the question here is recognizing that god has strewn into our pathway resources and saying lord what are the resources you want me to take and how can I best manage and maximize those resources? In our um, Dominion uh, business discussion group that uh, uh, Ken Cope's been leading, we're reading a book uh, by Al Rees and Jack Trout, and they said opportunities are hard to spot because they don't look like opportunities. And I think that was true of the good land that the Lord was giving to these Israelites, the scriptures describe that land not just as having arable areas. Not all of Israel was arable, in other words, farmable. Uh, it talked about there being wildernesses and deserts, uh, there being not only seas where there were fish, but Dead Sea, rocks, all the, and yet God describes all of those things as the good things that he had given to them. Now, let's read 
uh, here, uh, beginning at verse 7. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. Now, the rest of this description is describing why it's called a good land. A good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. Now, you think that land has changed at all in the last 40 years? Because they've been in the wilderness now for 40 years. I don't think it's changed at all. But the people's perspective had changed. They now could look at these things with the eyes of faith. They were able to look at these resources the way that God saw these resources. Previous welfare generation, they didn't want to enter into the land because they were the kind of people who, uh, if you put down uh, subpoint uh, number one, they were the kind of people, uh, next subpoint down, they were the kind of people who would look at a, a glass of water that was half full and they would say it's half empty. Okay, they would uh, uh, look at the negative side of every equation uh, that, uh, uh, that was brought to them. They saw the giants in the land. They, they were the kind of people, they could measure the risks and they could see all of the reasons why this project is not going to work. Okay, uh, the giants in the land. They focused on the risks rather than opportunities. In fact, many times they didn't even see the opportunities because they were so focused on the risks which means they were not seeing the resources as God saw the resources. Now, the land had not changed at all. It was the people who had changed. I think it was Chuck Swindoll who said, we are all faced with a series of great opportunities brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. And I thought that was a, that was a good statement. We're all faced with a series of great opportunities brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. And that was true of the... Uh, wilderness generation 40 years before they just couldn't see the opportunities they were so focused on the impossible situation and it didn't matter that joshua and caleb gave them perspective the words that moses says here almost the same kind of words joshua and caleb were saying it's a good land we can take it there's no problem god is with us but because they were not focused with faith all they could see was the negative they did not see uh, the opportunities now, in contrast, this generation looked at the half glass of water and said, wow, this glass is half full. They were optimists, okay? They uh, looked at life through the glasses of faith. And I remember there's many different things that can change your perspective. What changed my perspective from being an ultra-pessimist, man, you couldn't have looked at a <laughs> worse pessimist than me, to somebody who was somewhat optimistic and more and more optimistic was when I became Calvinistic and I began focusing on the all things of Romans 8:28, all things working together for good. And I remember after that dawned on me, it's just like life began to be exciting. I, I remember one time, for example, I had a, uh, a, a flat on my tire. And the first thought that came to my mind was, well, I wonder what the Lord's good thing that he's working on this is. Is the Lord wanting me to uh, have a divine contact, to talk with, uh, you know, somebody that's going to come along the road and pick me up or... Uh, with the guy that's going to fix the tire, or maybe I'm avoiding an accident. But the, the next life began to be almost like a Christmas package, and I could hardly wait to open it up and say, okay, Lord, this is weird, but I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what the good thing is that you're bringing into my life. We've got to have a vision of faith, of expectation that God is blessing us. And uh, in terms of prosperity, I cannot emphasize enough how important this is. There are churches... 
and I hope it won't be ours, that never will advance because the only thing that the bean counters are preoccupied with is all of the risk management, the things that, all the reasons why X, Y, Z, and A, B, C, D, E, F, G are not going to work because there's too many problems with it. Whether you're talking about believing God to prosper the education of your children or give you wisdom for leadership in your family or to provide for your finances in this coming week or any of the other areas of prosperity we've looked at in this series, we need to be wildly optimistic about the promises of God and say, God, you are a God who cannot lie. I'm banking on the things that you have given to me and just begin to look around. Lord, what are the things? Looking with optimism, I'm sure God's going to be providing. I'm going to have my eyes open to see what it is. A second part of recognizing opportunities as God sees them and then seizing those opportunities is to look for what others had missed. Now, verse 9 mentions that part of the reason that the land was good was because it was a land that had lots of stones in it. <laughs> had lots of stones in it, okay? Farmers don't like stones in their land. In fact, there's some places in Israel that are so chock full of stones, it's enough to make a farmer want to cuss. You know, I mean, it's just, this is a good land. But God wanted to have them look at life in terms of what other people many times miss. Those stones were not placed there to curse Israel. They were placed there for Israel's good. They were not a part of his curse. And he didn't want them focusing at the empty half of the cup and saying, you know, this is such a useless land. It's so much work to farm here. Instead, he wanted them to be able to look at that land and say, okay, this land is probably not good for farming, but hey, this land is great for mining. In fact, we've got a competitive edge here because we don't have to dig nearly as deep as the other people do to be able to get this iron ore and to be able to get this copper. Look for what others miss. The land was strategically laid out so that it forced division of labor. And verses 8 through 9 hint at that. It wasn't like Ireland where everybody grew the same crop. God forced them. They couldn't grow the same crop. There was going to be diversity just because of the makeup of that of that land. He forced specialization and division of labor. And even in terms of these rocks, one person's garbage, these rocks were made of iron, okay, one person's garbage was another person's uh, treasure in a very real sense. There was a friend of mine in seminary who uh, <clears throat> told me that uh, when they, before they had come to seminary, for their family, they were looking for some way they could make some extra income. And they lived in a middle-class neighborhood and they couldn't sell things. I mean, everybody had everything that they wanted to have. And, uh, but they did notice that there were a lot of dogs in the neighborhood, and these guys were kind of busy, and they thought, you know, I bet you these guys don't like picking up after their dogs. And so they started a little business with uh, super-duper pooper scoopers, you know, and they made a lot of money at it. Uh, they were looking at what other people had missed in that neighborhood. Um, you've probably known people who have done this, uh, we know two people in Omaha. They do this on a regular basis. In fact, it's their full source of income, and they make pretty good income at it. But they will buy houses that nobody else wants. Why in the world would anybody buy a dilapidated old house like this? But these people could see potential. They saw it was basically sound structurally. You put a new roof on it. You break, uh, fix some of the broken windows. You do some cosmetic changes, you know, a little bit of plumbing here and there. And uh, then maybe... Two months, three months, four months, six months down the road, they sell it, depending on how bad a shape it is, and they'll sell it for forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars of profit. That's a lot of profit for three, four months of, of work that they put into it. But what they were doing is they were noticing something that everybody else was missing. Uh, when 
I think of a person who looked for what others had missed. I think of George Washington Carver. Now, this wasn't in terms of making money for himself, though on some of his inventions he did make uh, money, but just in terms of taking dominion. He discovered, he was a former slave, uh, a black uh, who just was tremendous in terms of his, uh, uh, his dominion under the Lord, just really marvelous. But he discovered 150 products that could be made from the sweet potato and 300 products from the peanut. And we're talking about things like rosins and soap and paints and all kinds of different things that he was able to, to, to make from this. And before the Senate Agriculture Committee, he gave God the glory for giving him the wisdom to be able to take dominion and to exploit these resources. And he testified, we haven't even scratched the surface of the kinds of things that we can do if we take dominion of these uh, areas that the Lord has given to us. So what we need to do is we need to ask the Lord to give us illumination. Father, open my mind. I'm, I'm blind, but I know you've got resources. You've got ways in which I can increase the dominion that you've called me to, to take. So looking for opportunities as God sees them, seizing those opportunities requires, first of all, an optimistic or a faith-filled perspective on life, believing he's already doing that. Second, an ability to see what others have missed, and we need to pray for illumination. But thirdly now, a realistic appraisal of our abilities to labor in a given field because there is absolutely no way that one person could do all of the things that are listed in these, uh, in these chapters. If he was doing it by himself, he could not do it. And so if we're, if we're not called to do everything, that presupposes, first of all, that the vision of labor is good, Subpoint A. Now, some people are going to be specializing in the wheat and the barley of verse 8. Others are going to be specializing in uh, growing the fruit orchards. Other people in the mining and other people in the making of the tools from the iron ore and other people in the carpentry that's required to uh, build the beautiful buildings of verse 12. Now, this passage just hints at it, but the rest of the Pentateuch makes it very clear that there is going to be more and more specialization and division of labor as dominion advances. And without it, without specialization, without division of labor, there can't be effective advancement of the dominion of his kingdom. Labor is such a scarce resource. We've got to learn how to leverage our labor. We've only got so much to go around, and we need to use it more efficiently. Now, some people so hunger... For the good old days, you know, when uh, they were on the frontier and everybody had, was generalized in their skills, they had to be generalized to survive, they would like to nothing better than to get away from the complexities of life and they would like to go off and live by themselves and be totally self-sufficient. Now, there is a place for generalization. I think we all ought to study as much as we can to gain at least a little bit of knowledge, an inch deep of every area of life, but there needs to be specialization and without it, we cannot advance in in, um, in in prosperity and uh, verse 18 wants us to recognize what are the god-given powers god has given us to do that can enable us to prosper uh, it says there you shall remember the lord your god for it is he who gives you power to get wealth okay he gives you power to get wealth and actually that's interesting the next phrase that he may establish his covenant he doesn't, let me just go down a rabbit trail here. He gives you power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant. The two are not separated. A lot of people who are pietists say, no, God's covenant only deals with heavenly realities. But he says, no, 
All of life is under God's covenant. He gives you power to give wealth that he may establish his covenant. We ought not to think that just because we're to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness that God doesn't care about all those other things. He does care. He just says, you don't need to be preoccupied with serving things. You serve me. I don't want those things to displace me. And when you serve me with everything that you have, I will keep adding. I will keep multiplying. But that's a rabbit trail. And back to our point is we need to maximize the resource of our labor and skills if we're to prosper rather than trying to do everything that everyone else is doing. And even in the church, I think this is true, and it leads to body life. Now, the term body life is uh, thrown around with so many different meanings. I thought, well, let, let's just give, um, let's describe the same thing from an economic perspective, and maybe it'll help you to understand it from a little bit different vantage point. In the church, without division of labor, the church cannot prosper. It suffers. But when a free market climate of exchange of services and exchange of ideas is encouraged, the church thrives. And I think many times, many churches are run more like the Soviet Union than they are like a free market. Um, no central planning agency has sufficient knowledge to micromanage a large economy. And so anytime there's micromanaging, it means you're going to be staying uh, small. And I think the true analogy of the body life is not that elders are telling everybody what they need to be doing, micromanaging from the top, but true body life is providing a climate and an atmosphere, a structure and the freedoms to enable ministry to multiply. And I think there are people who are beginning to do the ministries that God has burdened them with, that God is calling them with. We're helping to resource and to network. There's an interdependency that people have when, uh, when they're working uh, in, a, in a free market. But it means individuals have to take initiative, they need to face risks, they need to get up over and over again when they fail. Subpoint B, free markets are places where it's easy for people to sin. <laughs> I think you can sin anywhere. But I think free markets, that's one of the criticisms people make of, of the free market. And here is the sin, they, they're claiming they can pull themselves up by their bootstraps verse 17 then you say in your heart my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth and we're going to focus on that next week the only point i wanted to make is in a planned economy it wouldn't even be credible if you claimed that that you pulled yourself it's only in a free market economy that you could make that kind of a sin point c this presupposes creative abilities as an important part of dominion prosperity and we'll look at creativity under a different section of deuteronomy very important part of uh, prosperity uh, it, really it creativity thrives in a free market it is hindered in a controlled market whether that market is the state or whether it's the church it is hindered but what moses th those things are hinted at but it's point d really that moses emphasizes and that is that god gives the abilities and god can take the, them away god prospers our abilities or he curses our abilities he can make us efficient in everything that we do, and he can make us inefficient in everything that we do. And basically, it's saying, you've got to be dependent upon me. Now, there's a mystery of that God many times allows people to prosper who don't deserve to prosper. In fact, they're downright pagans, and they use their prosperity against the Lord. But he says over the general, and in fact, there's many reasons for it. One of the reasons just came to my head here was because he says he allows the, them to, uh, to store up wealth for the righteous the righteous can if, if you think about it if you took out all right unrighteous people there'd be such a, a chaos in the economy 
it would be detrimental to the church and to God's people as well. So he has his purposes for that, but he says if we want to really prosper as believers, because he's concerned about our maturity, we've got to uh, we've got to take these principles seriously. Now I want to end with point C, that God delights in giving His people compounded growth over time, not simple addition, but multiplication. Now we looked last week at what an incredible blessing it is when God gives compounded growth of a population. And uh, we looked at Moses' wish that they were a thousand times more populous than they presently were. They were three million. A thousand times that is three billion. It's half of today's world population. God says that would be a blessing in Israel. That would not be a blessing in a controlled economy. But it's an incredible blessing of, of labor in, in a different one. But I, I want to I just look at verse 13. He says, when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied. Now, this is a fantastic proof text against the view of Mooney and others who say there's no interest on on money or against uh, Aristotle's view of the economy. Thomas Aquinas, unfortunately, brought Aristotle's economics into the church and the Roman Catholic Church has, for the most part, been very socialistic in orientation. Now, here's the reasoning. They say the only thing that can multiply are living things like humans, flocks, you know, herds, insects, um, wheat, you know. Living things can multiply. Ordinary things cannot. Therefore, it is immoral to charge interest on money because it presupposes that gold and silver can be multiplied. Well, isn't that exactly what he says here, that your gold and silver are multiplied? They say you can't charge rent on a house because a house can't be multiplied or land can't be multiplied. You've only got so much land to go around. Those are static objects. Now, it does make sense on the service. You do only have so much. How can you multiply land? But I think it's a naive view of the economy because it fails to take into account labor and the creativity of man. Take land, for example. Yes, there's only so much land to go around, but you even take a small country like Hong Kong an incredible prosperity there. Same people, but here is a small 400 square mile uh, uh, country. Only one seventh of, the, of that country is arable, and yet the, the, the cost of getting a, a piece of property there is sky high. Why is it so expensive? Why is it so expensive? You'd think if the land was worthless, that the land would just, you know, they, you wouldn't be able to sell it if you tried. But it's expensive. Why? It's because they have made such efficient use of their land and their limited resources. They actually have to pull in 90% of what they consume in that country, and virtually everything of what they export has to be pulled in. They have been so efficient because of the free market climate that was given there that people want to be there. It, they're willing to pay the money because they know they're going to prosper with the use of that. Let, just to use another analogy, actually it's not an analogy, illustration, a hundred years ago, there were quite a few uh, pieces of, of land that mining companies abandoned because the cost of getting any more ore out of the ground was more than what they would be able to sell the ore for. So they just abandoned that. But over the years, because of the multiplication of technolo technological abilities, these mining companies have gone back to those places and they can easily extract far more ore at a very cost-effective price. That's a multiplication of the use of that land through creativity, through other, uh, uh, other things that, 
that uh, come to bear. Technology may get to the place where we're able to process garbage for various purposes. Okay? Take Deuteronomy literally. God can cause a society to multiply in virtually everything that it has. Take, for example, a simple thing like silicon, you know, sand. It's like, you know, it's u- useless. Well, it's maybe useful for, for cement and for bricks, and oh yeah, it's useful for glass and it's useful for computer chips and uh, for insulation and for lubrication. And I took two minutes to do a search yesterday on the web, and I found a thousand incredible uses that they have for silicon, what comes from sand. Okay? It's what it is. It's you're multiplying the use of that basic element. Now, next week, I'm going to, Lord willing, finish this chapter by looking at some of the concrete ways that we're tempted to forget God when we prosper. Now, another way of wording it is how to increase the threshold of prosperity that God dares to give us. Because he's not going to give us more than is useful for his kingdom and more than he can trust us to be stewards with. So how to raise the threshold of prosperity that God can trust us with. But what I want to do right now is I want to recap each of these points and give a couple more applications. If you look at the top of the overhead again, uh, Roman numeral three, I want each one of you to believe God's purpose in your life is to resource you with everything you need to maximize the way in which you can advance his kingdom and his glory. Okay? He may take away some for a period of time like he did with Job if he thinks that with less you'll serve him better. But he's promised to supply all of your needs in Christ Jesus. Now, if you're struggling, at least ask yourself these questions. Point A. Am I doing everything with the resources that God has given that I'm able to give? Or am I being lazy? If I'm being lazy, the Lord's not going to prosper it. Or if I'm being inefficient in the use, there's going to be a degradation of the prosperity that the Lord will bring there. Point B simply calls us to open our eyes, to seek to look at life as God does. You know, if the only time that we see opportunities is after everybody else has made a killing on it, you know, we're, we, we need to be saying, Lord, Help me to seize it, even when nobody else sees those opportunities. Not saying, oh, yeah, I could have done that. <laughs> a lot of people think that. You know, I could have done that. That would have been easy. But could you see it at the time? Uh, seize the opportunity. Now, that's going to require some adjustments in how we look at life. Subpoint one, do I look at the glass as half empty? I used to. I used to. And we can change. Look for opportunities with the optimism of faith. Don't be thinking, hey, God must be holding out on me, you know, that there just aren't these opportunities around me. Have faith to believe that God can strengthen you. He can enable you to do all things through Christ who strengthens you, and he delights to strengthen you. Believe that God is resourcing you. And just say, Lord, open my eyes to see the ways in which uh, this is true. He is the God who promises a bounteous, generous, above everything that we could ask or think, you know, kind of provision in our lives. So look with optimism. Subpoint two, do you look where the herd is running and then try to get in on the tail end of the rush, or are you looking where others are not looking? I think it's a problem with many investors, you know, they're afraid to get in on a stock until after they've seen, okay, this stock has been growing for quite a long time, you know, it's safe to get in. Well, it may be, not necessarily, but it may be. It's just now on the top and it's coming over the edge. We need to be saying, Lord, I want to not be that steward who buried my talent in the ground. I want to uh, have your wisdom given to me to 
uh, look at what other people are missing. I want to turn rocks into iron. Okay, I want to turn lemons into lemonade. Uh, I, I don't want to be looking at, 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 at life where we just run after the herd. I want to be looking at what others miss. Subpoint three, don't do what others are doing well. Look for the resources God is providing that match your God-given abilities. Now, your abilities may be diverse enough that what you do next month is totally different than what you're doing right now or next year or whatever, and uh, that's fine. But make sure that you're doing something that's you. And don't just think at your physical abilities. Think of things like endurance. Some people, they may be slower, but boy, do they have the endurance that goes way beyond anybody else's. Think of things that are intangible, like your, your compassion, your nurture, your writing, your, your insight. And then finally, subpoint C, look for opportunities to multiply everything that you have. Multiply your labor. Don't just think in terms of working for an hourly wage. Be thinking, Lord, are there more effective ways that I could use my labor, and do you want me to go into those? Now, there are times where God calls us to sacrifice, but he's still in the long run, Mark 10, going to cause us to multiply. But we need to be asking, can I be more efficient in a different job or in, in using my part-time labor in something else? Look for ways that you can multiply your house. Multiply my house. I've only got one. Yeah, but multiply the efficient use of that house. You know, <clears throat> most countries... I think are astonished at how little we use our houses. In America, mostly, we just sleep in our houses. Maybe we might eat a meal there. And uh, maybe you don't have to be like the, you know, the proverbial, you know, the foreigner that, you know, you're looking out the window to see, is it nine, ten families that are coming out of the house this, uh, <laughs> this day? But they know this house is going to be well used. Now, you don't have to go crazy like that. But think of ways that you can use your house, multiply its effectiveness in ministry and hospitality and training. And How can I use this vessel you have given to me, Lord, this house, the most effectively for your kingdom? That's what we need to be asking. Lord, help me to multiply my house. Uh, you need to multiply the effective use of your money. Now, you may not be able to bring in an extra dollar, but you can multiply the efficient use of that through use of sales. In fact, uh, budgeting, when, when I have taken in financial counseling some people through, some of them have just absolutely been astonished at how much money I've been able to save them every month just through slight, not radical, slight adjustments of their living style where they're comfortable, $150, $200 a month. Budgeting, carefully thinking through, how am I using this money as efficiently as I, could, as, as I can? Um, budgeting your time. You know, sometimes it's, it's better to pay for somebody else to do something for us so our time is freed up because we're so slow at doing that thing. And then maybe we can resource that other person. There's an inter interdependence uh, that, that comes about when, when we have um, uh, division of labor. Now, obviously, we can work at everything that we've talked about here, but only God can prosper it. Um, and so uh, what I would like you to do above everything else is when God does multiply your herds and your flocks, your gold and your silver and everything that's in your hand, that you don't forget God. You depend upon him. I want you to serve him in everything. I want you to depend upon him in everything and have the optimism that God cares about the work you're going through and that he can prosper you.